Recovery Elevator, episode 391. I knew it was wrong, but I also didn't know it was wrong. The voice in my head was like, okay, if you're hiding this, there's a reason you're hiding it because you know it's not okay. Uh, like this? Yeah, that should work. Mix down. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Yo, yo. Mix down. Three, four. Yo, yo. Wiki, wiki. Three, Mix four. down. There we go. Seven, eight. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. Guys in the house. <laughs> I love it. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. There we go. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. It is so good to be here with you today. On today's episode, we have Polly. She's 50 years old from Awatana, Minnesota, and took her last drink on May 7th, 2022. Great job, Polly. I want to say thank you to all our Cafe RE chat hosts. You guys do such an amazing job. All right, listeners, I have an ask for y'all right now. If you like the Recovery Elevator podcast, if this podcast has been helpful on your alcohol-free journey, please take a moment and leave a review in iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast player. Now, listeners, I can tell you with near 100% certainty that your boss or your family members aren't checking podcast reviews to bust you or to see if you have a drinking problem. Your review will help this movement, and your review may be the catalyst for somebody else to quit drinking. Thank you. Now, before we get any further, let's hear from my favorite resource in recovery, Cafe RE. When I decided I wanted to pursue an alcohol-free life, I knew I didn't want to do it alone. I joined Cafe RE almost immediately after I found it, and I was so surprised at the amount of grace, support, and love that was offered to me right away. One of the things I quickly realized was that I had a lot in common with the people in this community, people all over the world with similar feelings and struggles that understood me. Community matters, and lining up with people that have the same goal in mind really helped me stay the course on my journey, especially when I came across bumps on the road. When joining Cafe RE, you get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to live an alcohol-free life. These groups are capped at under 400 members to ensure quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking can be fun. For $24 a month, you get access to the community, you get paired with an accountability partner if you request to be matched, you can attend educational online webinars, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and more. You'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. 10% of monthly fees goes towards our service project, where we work with a nonprofit helping those who have been affected by addiction. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I can't wait to meet you there. Okay, let's get started. There are two main reasons why I started this podcast. Number one, there was a time when I found myself unable to quit drinking. Ah, that was rough. And if you're there right now, I feel you. Keep listening. Keep showing up. Keep moving forward. Don't quit quitting. You're right there. Just stick with it. Okay, so I selfishly started this podcast as an accountability tool to help me quit drinking. I broke every promise to myself when it came to quit drinking, but I knew if others were listening, there would be an extra layer or at least a longer pause before taking that first drink. I'll admit it was risky, but I was running out of options and things were looking grim for me. 
So thank you all so much for your help. I've had so much support on this journey. So the second reason I started this podcast is to help others or to be of service. I remember telling myself, if I can help people along the way, if other people listen in, then that's a huge bonus. So that was it, listeners. That was a much simpler time for Recovery Elevator. We now have sponsors on this podcast, but I think it was about 80 to 90 straight weeks before we even had our first sponsor. It might have been longer. I don't exactly recall. In addition, I wasn't really too concerned with that stuff as long as I was hitting these goals. In fact, I still want to stay true to these goals while moving forward with this project. Listeners, we've covered a lot in the past 390 straight weeks. And I want to ask you, the listeners, what do you want to hear more of on this podcast? And I'm referring more to the intro component or the first five to 10 minutes of the podcast. Do you want a longer interview and shorter intro? What topics do you want to hear myself and Chris cover? What are you struggling with? Do you want to hear more personal stories from myself or Chris? Do you want more spirituality, less spirituality, more science, less science, more rule 22, more jokes, less jokes? Do you want to hear about the model train set I built in my living room earlier this year? I've got a Lionel O-Gage train going from my living room into the crawl space in my basement. Then it comes back into the living room and then it goes into the basement before coming back into the living room. Yes, I cut four holes in my walls to make the tunnels. Sometimes I hide slices of cheese on the train for my dog Ben to find. He's only caused two train cars to derail and probably 60 slices of cheese, which if you ask me is damn impressive. Okay, listeners, do you want more tips for early sobriety? Do you want more lists? Top five ways to kick booze into goat blocks. Let us know what type of interviewee you want to hear. So email us at info at recoveryelevator.com. And that's like the catch-all email address for RE here. Let us know what you want to hear. Again, a big reason of this podcast is to help, to be of service. And we want to make sure we're, we're doing that the best we can and giving information that you guys want to hear that's most relevant to you. And I want to thank the journey listeners of this podcast. That's a listener who has heard every single episode of the RE podcast. And I've even met a couple who've gone through all 391 episodes twice. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be on this journey with you. We are doing this together. There is no separation. With the intros, they're roughly about 1,000 to 1,100 words each intro. Now, a typical 300-page book has about 70,000 words. If you've heard every RE episode with just the intros alone, you've listened to roughly 400,000 words of sober talk, which is the equivalent of about five to six quit-lit books. Just listening to this podcast or other recovery podcasts is doing the work. You're opening yourself up to new ideas and concepts. So great job, listeners. Again, myself, Chris, the whole RE team, we are so honored to be here with you on this journey. I think quitting drinking is the biggest decision that we can make in this lifetime. And that really, quitting drinking, what does that mean? Yes, we're leaving, we're departing from a substance called alcohol, we're no longer ingesting it, but really what that decision is, is we're getting to know ourselves. We are making the most important connection that we can make in our lifetime, and that's with ourselves. Okay, so email us at info at recoveryelevator.com and let us know what you want to hear. What topics, what do you need help with? Is there a guest you want to have back on the podcast? 
Speaking of, later this year, I'm going to interview somebody that I interviewed five years ago. And yes, they have been alcohol-free for five years. All right. A big part of this project is to be of service, again. So let us know how we can help. And speaking of service, we have our first ever in-person Cafe Ari service project in Denver, Colorado this September 17th, which I am super excited about. Thank you, Lauren G., for all your help with this service project. Okay, again, let us know what you want to hear. Email us at info at recoveryelevator.com. You can also ping us on Instagram and the other social channels as well. And speaking of Instagram, Kate on the team here, she is kicking butt with the reels. She's making reels every Friday. Uh, they're hilarious. So be sure to follow Recovery Elevator on Instagram as well. And I think we're also on TikTok. TikTok? I think that's what it is. Let's go with that. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp, before we hear from Polly. Life can be overwhelming, and many people are burned out without even knowing it. Some symptoms of burnout can include lack of motivation, fatigue, irritability, and more. For me, recovery takes a lot of work, and when I try to do too much at once while also trying to just live my life, I step into the zone of burnout. When we get sober, we want to change many things about our lives, and that's inspiring. However, remember that slow and steady wins the race. If we come out of the gates too intensely, we may burn out. BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you to prioritize yourself. Talking with someone can help you figure out what's causing stress in your life and how you can best navigate it. My therapist has been instrumental in reminding me that I can do it all, but I can't do it all at the same time. Having her perspective has allowed me to be more accountable to myself. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com elevator. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash elevator. Polly, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. How are you? Yeah, Polly, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Polly, let's get right into this. When was your last drink? My last drink was December 23rd of 2021. December 23rd, 2021. So that that's six months as of just a couple of days ago, correct? Right. Yep. Just last week, it was my six month anniversary. Yeah. Fantastic. Congratulations. How, how do you feel? Uh, I feel amazing. I feel incredible, actually, like a new person. Cool. That's great to hear. And I like hearing those sobriety dates of December 23rd, right before a gauntlet of a couple big dates on the calendar, December 25th. We've got New Year's Eve, we've got New Year's Day, plenty mm -hmm. of reasons to drink there. I'm excited to dive more into your story and hear why December 23rd was a day and not the 26th, not the first, not the second and things like that. But before we do that, Polly, we've got something in common. We were both, we're both berated in our early years as Polly wants a cracker, right? We, <laughs> we chatted about that before I hit record. My name is Paul and it's similar to Polly. So when I was in grade school, it's like, ah, Polly wants a cracker. Okay. I haven't heard that one yet today. Uh, how was that for you? <laughs> 
yeah, a huge part of my identity was Polly Wanna Cracker and it drove me crazy. It kind of made me hate my name actually. And I was in my twenties and I thought, you know, I hadn't heard it for a few years and I was waiting tables up on the North shore and this little four-year-old walked up to me and I said, hi, I'm Polly. And he said, oh, Polly Wanna Cracker. And I went, oh my gosh, you gotta be kidding me. It's Wait, a four-year-old <laughs> said that to you? Yeah. It's uh, never going to end. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I get it probably once every couple of years, but it takes me back. And I'm like, oh, this is why I drank. <laughs> Not quite that I dramatic. Thought, I, I guess I never even realized a Paul because, of, you know, Polly won a cracker. But yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> to I'm sorry to hear it too. And I think you got to probably double or triple the amount that I got. But it was still, you know, trauma yeah. with, with a little tea. Very oh, small yeah. tea, but over and over. I was like, God dang it. I do want a cracker so badly. Thanks for yeah. offering, but I know you don't have a cracker in your gosh darn pocket. So yeah. Well, then <laughs> I started getting, you know, magnets and t-shirts from people that said, Polly want a drink, Polly want a margarita. And then I was like, all right, that's not really that funny anymore. Sure, sure. We can almost skip to the end of, of give <laughs> listeners. You, you might need to ditch the booze if your friends know you so well. They get you Polly want a drink, Polly want a wine. Shirts. Yep. Yeah. Love yes. it. Yep. Well, cool. Polly, give listeners a little background about yourself, where you're from, what you do for a living, uh, your age, perhaps you have a family and what do you like to do for fun? Okay. I'm from Southern Minnesota in a small town, not too small. And I actually teach uh, high school English. I've taught for about 24 years and I absolutely love my job. It has kept me very young. And I have two daughters. I've been married for 24 years to, I, I call him my rock, my savior, uh, all those cliches, but he really, you know, best friend, all that, all of that, but couldn't, wouldn't be here without him. And like I said, I have two daughters, both going to be in high school. One's a senior, one is a, a, going to be a freshman. And we've got some chickens and a couple dogs, cat, you know, the quintessential American life. And I used to be a runner, not professionally, but that was pretty much how I dealt with anxiety, stress, everything. And then I blew out my knees. And so that's been kind of the beginning of the end really for me, but uh, love being outside, love camping, um, being with my family, that type of stuff. Cool. How does it yeah. work with the dogs and the chickens and all the animals, the dogs and chickens get along? They get along great. Actually, our golden retriever thinks that she is a herding animal. So she, the chickens are free range and they go in at night to go to bed and she'll run around and kind of herd them in the yard. We have about an acre, so they kind of hang out in the yard, but she kind of likes to herd them. They're, they're all good buddies. And then we have a wild turkey named Jeff who thinks he's a chicken too. So, but they're great. I love them. A wild turkey named Jeff. We have a rapid yep. fire round question. This says, <laughs> if you had a pet turkey, I actually just throw in a random animal every time it could have been turkey, but we know it was Jeff. So we'll, yeah. we'll throw in, we'll throw in another animal there. Okay. And I, I live about 15 minutes south of Bozeman, Montana, out of town. And the previous owners had built this small barn in my front yard. And last year I paid for goats. And then there was a hay shortage. It just didn't come together at the last minute, but I've researched chickens. I've researched goats. I love animals. I, I have a dog yeah. named Ben and Aww. I feel that animal energy on the property or, or just yeah. around just makes everybody a little happier. So it does. It does. Absolutely. And the chickens make me laugh and we get our organic eggs every day. And they're so yummy and yeah, they make me happy. 
Yeah. Okay. With the goats last year, I researched all about them, read a couple books. As I mentioned, I paid for the goats. It, it didn't work out. But when we had a retreat last summer, August, we had a presenter that wasn't able to make it with, with COVID. Um, and I was like, oh, this was like four or five days before the event. And I called the goat supplier. I guess that's what we call them. And I was like, hey, do you want to bring your goats? And that was one of the workshops. We brought Lenny and Tom to oh, the retreat and nice. uh, people loved it, right? Because some of the workshops yeah. are, they're harder. It's doing the work, right? It's pen to paper, uncovering some deeper inner emotions. And, and then we went outside and walked at, walked goats and hung out with goats. It was fantastic. Yeah. You should do goat yoga. I've heard about that. <laughs> I have. Funny. All right, Polly, let's get into your story with alcohol. When you recognized it, it needed to go, how all that went down, the pain points that pushed you off the tipping point into a life without alcohol. So, so Polly, when did you first start drinking? And uh, talk to us about the progression. Try to give us dates so we can chronologically uh, follow you. And did it pick up? Uh, you know, the progression. When did it get worse? Let's let's hear it. So, um, alcohol has always been a part of my life. Uh, even back when I was a, a little kid, I, mean, I can't remember life without alcohol around. Um, my parents weren't. Uh, drunks, I would say of any kind, but they, my dad would come home. He would sit down after a long day, have the, you know, the brandy on the rocks or whatever, or the, or the cold beer, you know, one or two um, were Italian. So we had wine with dinner, but it was never uh, overcome some over consumption. It was always in, in very moderation. But I remember as a high school kid, that it was all about when we got turned 21, like 21 was the age that everybody couldn't wait for because they could drink. And it was just kind of part of the culture of where I grew up, where I was an athlete. So I didn't want to get in trouble. So I didn't drink in high school, but it was as soon as I can remember in college, like that was the beginning of partying and, and, and drinking, but waiting for that 21st birthday, you know, it was such a big deal. And I, I think back to now, like how wrong that is that you're waiting for this moment where you can have a drink legally. Like, why is that, you know, um, a, such a big deal? So, of course, you know, in my in my college years, I um, I was I struggled a lot. My parents were really strict. And so I, I struggled with finding balance with school and partying. And I kind of went off the deep end and partied too much, not like every single night, but it be definitely became a focus instead of studying. Um, so anyway, in my, I ended up, I graduated from college and just life kind of just took its own organic journey. It, alcohol was just kind of like a Friday, Saturday thing. It wasn't something that that my life revolved around, but there was always alcohol and it was always a social thing. And I met my husband my last year in college. And so partying, not partying, but going out and drinking came to be like, instead of Friday and Saturday, now it was Tuesdays. And then it became Tuesday, Wednesdays. And then it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And I remember when Monty and I were dating, he said to me at some point, cause he was working and I was in college and he's just said, you know, I don't, like drinking every day. It's not something that I want to do. And I was like, what, how can that, like, you're crazy. I don't want to be around someone that doesn't want to drink every night. And so that was definitely a red flag in our relationship for me was that he didn't want to be drinking every night. Like how, how could you? 
anyway, we ended up getting married and life just life was life and everything was good as far as alcohol. Um, but I, as I think back to it socially, it was alcohol was always the glue. So when there was a bonfire, there was alcohol. When we went camping, there was alcohol. When you went to book club, there was alcohol. When I went and played volleyball, we went out for a drink. When I was go run a half marathon, it was all always about let's go get that celebratory beer. Or, you know, when you had a long day after school, because I'm a teacher, it was about having that drink or deserving that drink. And just kind of like this idea, like as an adult, we deserve to drink. Or I thought that that was what it meant to be an adult was you would go to school or you'd go to work and when you'd come home and you'd work out or whatever, you deserved to drink. It was just my mantra or my mind frame. And it just got to be where one Tuesday led to a Wednesday, which led to Thursday, which then led to now I'm drinking like every day. So that kind of perpetuated it. Paul, you got a question with, with your spouse, as you mentioned, he yeah. said, look, I, I, I'm, I don't really want to drink every day. Got it. But when you just mentioned that it got to be like almost every day, you used to be Friday, Saturday, then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Wednesday, all that. Was he, was your husband still on like one or two days a week or was he matching you there? So as we've talked about this now, he was matching me because he'd come home from work and I'd be making dinner with a big glass of wine or a vodka lemonade or whatever. And he'd be like, Oh, well, she's having a drink. So I'll have a drink. Um, he didn't like it, but it was kind of like when in Rome kind of thing. And I think he didn't really know what to do with me. I didn't, I don't think he know, knew how to handle the fact that I was drinking so much. And of course, as he'd go around the corner to go outside in the garage and get something, I'd quickly pour more vodka in my vodka lemonade. So I started hiding um, slowly how much I was drinking. And, and when he'd come home and he'd say, all right, how many vodka lemonades? I'd be like, well, I've just had one, you know, when mm. I'd actually have had, would have had three. Real quick with that, when he went around the corner, when yeah. you poured yourself a lemonade, and I know a lot of listeners are shake, not shaking their head sideways, but shaking their head up and down going, yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Cause I, myself, Hey, I'll be right back going to the restroom. Yeah. Maybe went to the restroom and I made a stop for a, for a shot of something. Yeah. Um, was there an inner voice that said, wait a second, I'm, I'm doing double here. I'm not being honest. There's something else going on all the time. I knew it was wrong, but I also didn't know it was wrong. The voice in my head was like, okay, if you're hiding this, there's a reason you're hiding it because you know, it's not okay. But I just justified it. Like, I don't, I don't know. It was hard to, it's hard to explain. And, and when I would talk to my friends about it and I knew that was another like red flag when I would say, you know, I'd go over to a friend's house for happy hour on Tuesday and I'd ask how much are you guys drink every day? And they'd be like, yeah, but, and I was, I'd start asking them, well, how much do you drink? And, and then they would try to make me feel better and say, oh, but everybody drinks everyone drinks, everyone drinks a bottle of wine a night. You're not an alcoholic. And this was the, now this was about a couple of years ago when I started to do these check-ins right before COVID. I would say three years ago, I just turned 50 this January, three summers ago, I blew out my, my knees. I, I ran the cartilage basically out of my knees and I had knee surgery. And that was kind of the beginning of a, a massive mourning, mourning process of, of mine. 
I didn't know how to handle my anxiety and my stress. And so when, and I felt incredibly sorry for myself and I know I'm kind of talking was because I couldn't run after school, I go, well, I can't run. So I'm going to pour myself a drink. And then I would start to feel better because the drink made me feel better. And so then I'd have another one. Well, then because I wasn't running and I was drinking, I was gaining weight. So now I was starting to do all of these other horrible things like eating poorly and the weight started to, you know, slowly increase. Well, then my self-esteem went to the shitter. So now I feel bad about myself. So I'm going to drink. So I have a drink, then I have some chips Then I feel bad about myself. So I drink more and I can't run and I can't do this. And I, you know, and so it was this, all of these, like, it was like the perfect storm. My husband says, you know, with my, my knee injuries and my surgeries, and then with COVID and being home as a teacher and no one doing any check-ins and I'm, you know, I'm secretly drinking the, you know, grapefruit vodkas as I'm freaking teaching, you know, because it, I, I couldn't, now I was getting to a point where I couldn't even exist without the alcohol in my system. And that also was something that I absolutely ignored. And I chalked it up to it. I was having anxiety or in the mornings when I would get up and I would have the shakes, I would say I was sick or I'd be throwing up because I was having dry heaves. I would say to my husband, Oh, I just have a horrible stomach ache. I don't know what's going on. And I never put it all together because I didn't want to put it together, but it was all because of the alcohol. And it just got to be where I could not exist. I could not function without it. When would you say you reached that, that moment and you said, Oh wait, I cannot function with this. Cause it's a yet scale, right? A lot of people are saying, well, you yeah. didn't quite get there or maybe, oh, of course, but if you go at this long enough, you're going to reach the moment. I can't function without this. I recall when I hit that, it was scary. It's, it's, it's not your best day of your life. When would you say that was for you? You know, honestly, I don't know if I ever had that day. I mean, I really was lying to myself so vehemently that I, I just couldn't bring myself to admitting that I had a problem. Even as I walked into the treatment center on December 23rd, I, I knew in the back of my head that I had a problem, but I could not bring myself to say I am an alcoholic. It was my husband who sat me down on the porch that December, you know, a week before I went to treatment and said, you're going to lose your family. You're going to lose your job. You're going to lose everything if you don't do something about this. And he had had these conversations with me, but they were not ever like, this is it. And I could tell in his face that morning, this was it. So I knew I had to, I had to give it up and I had to say, okay. All I could think about was that Sandra Bullock movie, 28 days. Like, I don't want to be Sandra Bullock and I don't want to go, I don't want to go and be, you know, I don't want to be away from my family. And like, I was so embarrassed and I was so ashamed of myself and so disgusted with my behavior, but I still couldn't bring myself to admit it. You know, I just saw the look in his eye and I just said, I didn't want to lose him. I didn't want to lose my family. I didn't want to lose my job. I didn't want to lose my home. And all of these people that are alcoholics have done that. I hadn't done any of those things. So I was okay. You know, I was living a lie and it was working for me. 
I didn't know how horrible I had become around my family. I mean, I had become a ghost, a drunken ghost is the only way that I can really, I was here, but I wasn't here. Okay. So Polly, when you, did you have a moment where you admitted it to yourself and, and how did that feel? I think it was when I was in treatment, it was the very first hour and a half I was in treatment and I was, I was calling Monty like every five seconds, please come pick me up. Please come pick me up. And he was like, no, I'm not coming to pick you up. And I was just bawling, you know, I can do it. I can do it. I'll do it on my own. And he said, you, you and I both know that you can't do this on your own. And cause I had tried previously, like I can quit. And I, of course I couldn't. And I just kept calling him. He, I'd hang up the phone and I'd walk around the treatment center and then I'd go call him again and I'd cry and cry and cry. Please come pick me up. And he would just kept saying, no, honey, I can't, I can't. And then I kind of, at that moment, it was like, I, I just had to give it up. And I, I don't know if I would ever truly had a moment where I was like, hey, I'm an alcoholic. You know, I just realized I had a problem and I had really done a number on my family. And I, I made a commitment then that I needed to be there. And then the really crazy thing was I was so sick. I was violently sick, right? And so you're going through detox and it was like the first couple of hours and they did a nurse change. And one of my very best friends from high school was one of the nurses on duty. I did not know that he worked in the center and he walked in and I just fell into his arms and I just bawled. Yeah. And he's holding me as I'm throwing up and I'm shaking and I'm convulsing. And he looked at me in the eyes and said, you need to remember this. Wow. And I just, that was the moment was when I was like, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget how I feel right now. Wow. I, I recall close to, to my sobriety date, some of those tumultuous moments in the mornings. And I just said, don't forget this moment. Don't forget this. This is why it just was like putting the stamp on the decision of why I was quitting drinking. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. In, in December, your husband chatted with you and said, all right, this, these are the repercussions. This is what's going to happen. You're going to lose your family. You go to treatment. You, <laughs> it's hard. Every five minutes you were calling, uh, you were calling your husband, come pick me up. You meet mm -hmm. that, uh, your friend from high school, you're purging. And that's, I think that's the word here. You're getting it all out. Tears, you're detoxing. Mm -hmm. What happens after that? It's kind of like the, I mean, this is so cliche, like the heavens opened up. Like once I got it out of, once it got out of my system, I was like, a re, it was a rebirth. I felt like I want to live the best life that I can. And I want to be the best person and live the best, you know, the best version of myself and unconditional love in the moment that I met them. And I decided that I wanted to give that love back to people that were coming in. And so there was this young man who left like the day after I was there because it was Christmas for crying out loud. Right. So like the next day I'm 24 hours in and it's Christmas and I'm in treatment. I mean, talk about emotional and, and heartbreak. And my daughters and my husband are at home without their mother, because I've done this, you know, like all of these feelings. And then I've got these people at treatment that are, that are picking me up and carrying me through these horrible days. 
um, and they're going through through this and I'm going through this and they're loving all over me. And I just thought this is where what I want to do to other people. So I I made it a vow to myself that any person that I saw that walked in, I was going to go up to them and I was going to greet them and say hello and tell them it's okay and tell them it, that, you know, I'm happy that they're there and be that person that all of those other people were there for me. And it was just the best experience of my life. And it was incredible. It was incredible. Polly, we're actually going to, we're going to answer. I'm going to ask you number 10 of the rapid fire on question right now, because you made a vow to yourself to, to pay it forward, to be of service, to welcome people, to get out of your head. Yeah. What are you going to say right now to people who are putting on their headphones or pressing play on their podcast player for the very first time or the recovery elevator podcast? Because there are people doing that right now. What do you have to say to them? That there's someone out there that needs you and you don't know it and you need them just as much as they need you. And to don't be afraid of, I just don't be afraid and just do it. Don't, you know, don't get in the way of yourself and just, I don't know. I don't, it's, it's hard to explain. I guess I, all I can say is just know that there is someone out there that needs you and don't be afraid of that. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I heard a great line the other day where somebody was going through a a very challenging day and they reached out to somebody and that person said, wow, this painful experience is going to help so many other people. And I think that's one of the greatest medicines or the, one of the best departures away from alcohol is simply sharing our story. A, we move that energy and we're doing that right now, but also the, the people listening there's it's the both people are equally important on this you and me and then mm-hmm. the listener right now we're all doing the same thing is departing from alcohol so Polly, what happens after you leave treatment that can be a difficult time for some when they go back into their environment walk us through that what happened were there cravings and how did you stay away from alcohol um i am incredibly fortunate because my husband also decided to quit drinking um he again never really wanted to be a, a drinker and he made it a commitment. Actually, he quit the week before I went in. So um, without him quitting, I I really don't think that I would have been at the six month mark because I still do have cravings. And it has been an easy six months and it has been an incredibly difficult six months. Uh, every day, I I mean, it, and I and I tell my girls this and my husband this all the time, it's constantly calling to me. And I don't know when that's going to ever cease. I'm hoping that it will end. I know that I'm a newbie and I'm six months in, but it is a daily battle between me and plastered Polly. And that's what I named her to tell her to shut up and know that I'm not going to feed into that. And I also, I'm kind of an analytical person. And so at treatment, they talked a lot about why your brain wants alcohol and, you know, where all the addiction comes from. And so I go back to my notes and why my brain is trying to mess with me. And so I try to look at it very um, logically that it's not me that has the addiction, that it's my brain that has the addiction. And so I just try to kind of compartmentalize it and say, okay, you have a craving right now. It's going to end in 10 to 15 minutes. And I'll say to my daughters, I have a craving right now. I want you to know I have a craving right now. And they'll be like, okay, mom. And I'm just very, 
vocal about it, or I am very transparent about it, or, or when my husband comes home, I will say, I'm having a craving right now. Or if it's Friday afternoon, and that's typically when I did happy hour with my girlfriends, that's a really, really hard time. And so I try to be like, okay, I'm going to go for a walk at three instead of sit here and, you know, feel bad for myself that I'm not at happy hour. I'm going to do something that I love to do. So I try to be pro- proactive in knowing that I'm going to get cravings. I try to be very transparent. And I know that for me, I have to tell the people around me, I'm having a craving right now. I just need to tell you. And they help me walk me through it. And I also know that it will pass. And knowing that and being verbal and being vocal about it has really helped me. Um, I do AA meetings and I and they're, they're helpful because it's uh, talking with a group of people that are going through the same shit that I'm going through. Um, but the biggest thing that has helped me I believe is that my husband does not drink. I am around people that do not drink and that I am very open about what's happening in my body and Mm. aware. Paul, I love how you nicknamed the addiction plastered Polly. All right. And this is what shamans in the native American community did. They recognized the several hundred years ago is to work with an illness, an entity, a different energy or a spirit. In fact, that's actually what alcohol is named spirits. They needed to name it. Right. And it's a powerful thing because it actually, you take one step away from that person. You begin the separation process from you and addiction and entity, a spirit, whatnot. Love that plastered poly. I currently have been using the name Bruno to talk about the, the mind, the, the ego. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, I highly recommend people doing that. You said alcohol called to me or still calls to you almost daily, right? And mm-hmm. you're six months away listeners. And I'm telling you right now, Polly, that's totally normal. Alcohol called to me for a long time after I took my last drink, but here's, here's what happens with that. I recall, you know, a week or two went by and it was like this, wait a second, I haven't had a craving in a week or two. So Polly, keep going. Those, those neural pathways, they're going to fire less, right? The brain will rewire itself. Um, you said something earlier where you're really open about it. And I like how you said, you told your daughters, Hey, I'm having a craving right now. I don't know if that terminology is common with everybody who quits drinking to loop their daughters in. What has it Mm -hmm. been like to, to have your daughters in on the journey with you? You know, good and bad ever since they, I'm a really open person. I'm, you know, open book. I think back to my drunkness, my drunkenness, and it's, shameful and embarrassing that I was the person that I was around them. But now that we're here, I, I, we talk about it a lot. My older daughter, more, she's going to be a senior. We talk about it uh, almost daily because I want to know, you know, do you forgive me? Do you still love me? Do you still think I'm a good mom? So I need those reassurances. And of course she's like, of course, you know, mom, I love you. I'm so proud of you. When, when my husband on that day on the porch said, you're going to lose your family. I walked in because of course it was COVID. And I said to my eldest daughter, do you think I should go to into treatment? And she said, yes. Mm. And I said, okay, then I'll go. And we're a tight knit group and not every family has that look, you know, has that, which it's, that's neither here nor there, but my daughters, I, 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 I want them to be empowered by this. I want them, you know, the whole time I was in treatment, 
what really was kind of like my spinning energy was I did not want them to end up in treatment like I did. I was doing this for myself, but I was really doing this to end the cycle of alcoholism in my family. Now, my parents are not alcoholics, but there's a lot of alcohol when you go to Christmas and there's a lot of alcohol when you're at Easter and there's a lot of alcohol at the kids' birthdays and there's a, there's just a lot of alcohol. And I need as a mother to empower my daughters to not end up where I was at. And so I think I'm answering your question. I want them on this journey with me. It's not something that just I am going through. Yeah. I love that you said that. It's, it's, it's a collective healing process. Mm-hmm. It's the whole family has to come together. And, and, and Polly, what, what's one of your proudest moments in your alcohol-free life? I would say the last six months. I mean, however many seconds that is, I am exceedingly proud of myself every single day, every single moment. This has been the hardest thing that I have ever done. Marathons, childbirth, grad school. This is a fight for my life, for my children's life. Um, and I'm winning and I'm going to win. And it is incredibly difficult, but I am so proud of myself for shedding that, ugh, that person that I, I'm just exceedingly proud of myself every single day. And that's a new thing for me. Like a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, I would never be like puffing my feathers up and saying anything like that. That wasn't in who I was. I just, you know, I didn't have that self-esteem esteem to say, you know, say that I am kicking this ass and I'm going to kick its ass. That's a long answer to your question. That is fantastic. It sounds like your confidence is back. You've got a whole new life. Of course. Yes. This is the hardest thing that I've ever done. It's the most rewarding thing I've ever done. And come with that comes the belief in yourself again, which was totally lost before. And also for me, the self-love has returned. There's, there are still things that I'm not happy about, or, you know, I, I can change in my life, but there's this inner voice that says, yeah, it's not perfect, but I absolutely love you unequivocally, unconditionally, Paul. How has the self-love been? You know, it's still, it's still new. You know, I, I, I definitely like the pride is one thing. Self-love is another, like, I still like, you know, I got choked up when I was talking earlier because I still am very ashamed and I just get choked up thinking about it right now. Uh, Some of the things and how I, some of the things I did and some of my behavior, especially around my children. um, You know, when you have, when you have a baby, you don't, you, you think I'm never going to do anything to hurt this child. And then you think, I think about the things that I did and it's, I just have, I'm not there yet. You know, I need to, I haven't truly forgiven myself. I love myself, but I, I'm not, I haven't forgiven myself yet. And thanks for your honesty on that question. The self-love with myself, it didn't come day one, nor day two or month six. It took a while to build as I reconciled with many things. And, and I think I had a better or a more realistic perception on life and my expectations as well. Polly, this has been fantastic. And uh, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 10 to 30 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? Ready. All right. What's the one thing you've learned about yourself since quitting drinking? My one thing that I've learned about myself is that I'm stronger than I thought I was. 
I know that's cliche, but that's truly what I, one of the one things I've learned. What's your favorite alcohol-free drink? Oh my gosh. I went from sugar-free ginger ale, and then I did tea, and now I'm on iced caramel coffee. So I make, I live off of iced coffee. Love it. Yeah, good stuff. All right, what's the point of life, Polly? I don't know. Be happy, be kind. That's something that I, is one of my big mantras is to, to be kind and don't forget what you say and do affects people more than you know. Paul, I, I think the most accurate part of that was, I don't know. Everyone, <laughs> exactly everyone has a quick know. answer for that, but <laughs> I don't think the human mind can quite figure that out, but yeah, yeah. I, I love it. Next question. <laughs> what's your favorite 80s or 90s band? Oh my gosh. Uh, Prince. I got a Minnesota Prince all the way. Okay. What are some of your favorite resources? For what? <laughs> like trees? <laughs> for, for, well, I would say for quitting drinking. Let's go with that. What is that um, to help you stay away from alcohol? Uh, my favorite resource is my husband and my friends and my family. What has recovery made possible for you, Polly? To have my life back. That's a big one. If you had a pet raccoon, what would you name it? Rachel. Great name. What's your favorite <laughs> pizza topping? Pepperoni and mushroom, but I am a pineapple person. I had a pepperoni <laughs> mushroom pineapple pizza three days ago. Oh, yum. Fantastic. Yum. Let's do this one more time. What parting piece of guidance can you give the listeners? To, you know, that's a really, really hard question because I, I'm so, I, I don't, the guidance is don't be afraid to, ad, ad, don't be afraid to admit that you have a problem because it is life-changing and it is not embarrassing. And it does not mean that you are a failure. It just means that you're a human being. And Polly, before we go, let's hear your own. You, not, you might need to ditch the booze if line. <laughs> I think we need to go back to like, you might know you're an alcohol or ditch the booze when you're, every gift that you get has something to do with wine. <laughs> sure, it checks out for sure. Polly, thank you so much for joining us. This is one of the favorite ways for me to start my day and my favorite part about doing Recovery Elevator. Thank you for your time and thanks for sharing your story. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. Listeners, before we depart, I want to talk to you about the Lionel model train set that I described earlier in this podcast episode. While doing it, there was a narrative inside my mind saying, what the hell are we doing? Why are you cutting holes through your wall? Uh, you, there, there's home value, right? What, what, what are you doing here? And you've got other things that a grown up should be doing. 40 year olds don't build model train sets in their house. They don't, um, or the, at least the ones I know. But while I was doing it, while I was sawing through my wall, worrying about my, my home value, right? Um, I remember connecting with this inner voice saying, no, this is the most important thing we can do right now is add joy, add fun. Um, add creativity into our lives. And, um, you know, I almost, I did that project for my inner child and I've nicknamed this, this model railroad set, the super chief, because that was the name on the box of the Lionel train set box that I received the super chief. So what is your train set? What is your super chief? What is that project that's wanting to emerge? What is that outlet where there's creativity inside you that, that wants to be birthed, that wants to come out, that wants to be known, Right. And there were some stressful moments building this train set, especially in my crawl space. 
It's what it is. It's a crawl space. And there were some uh, joist beams that were about 18 inches apart where I had to get in there and I couldn't turn around. I dropped a screw a couple times. Getting into the crawl space alone required a couple ninja moves, a ladder. It was hard. And I wanted to quit a couple times. Yeah, but I'm so glad I didn't. I pushed forward. So what is your super chief, right? What is that joyful thing in life that is wanting to show up? Maybe you want to take wakeboarding lessons. <laughs> I don't know. Pickleball is a new rage that's coming across the country right now. Go play some pickleball. So here at Recovery Elevator, we believe in rule 22, which is never take yourself too seriously. Now, AA has this. It's called rule 62. And we think it's so important, which is why we bumped it down 40 spots, which is kind of a joke in itself. But it's so important to find joy, to find ways you can insert laughter on this alcohol-free journey. Now, the Native Americans recognized that the healing process cannot be stressful. For example, healing from an illness can't provide more stress on the body than the illness itself. So absolutely, building this model train set that I still, I turn it on probably three or four days a week. I love it. I absolutely love it. As I mentioned, I put dog bones on it. I put slices of cheese for my dog. Once my dog hears that button flip, wherever he's, he's hanging out, he'll sprint to the living room and just find whatever's on that train waiting for him. So that was part of my journey, adding lightheartedness to it, right? And so I encourage you again, find your super chief. Find what makes you laugh. Let that inner kiddo come out. Okay, Recovery Elevator, remember Rule 22, lighten up. Thank you so much for listening. Get it.